Blog Talk Radio. Jody West. I write the Carlisle Crime Case series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt in Darkness, Darkness at First Light, Had a Dying Fall, and Things Strangled, featuring Carlisle homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. My latest book, though, is a historical nonfiction, M- Madam Bessie Jones, Her Life and Times. And my, aren't we growing weary of the COVID pandemic that keeps on mutating? Mask on, mask off. Well, if you're with me, it's a good time for discovering new authors, listening to podcasts, and it's an excellent way to pass the time at home. Today, we are pleased to have a fellow author as our guest, Linda Cotton Jeffries, author of the recently published novel, Scene in the Quiet. As a child, Jeffries grew up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, received a BA in radio, television, and motion pictures from UNC at Chapel Hill, She loved to write and then imagined herself writing for children's television until she learned about storyboarding, not her thing. Then she earned an MS in special education and taught emotionally impaired students. Her first taught at an elementary school in a locked facility. Jeffrey's married, moved to Michigan, taught special needs children. And then she and her husband and their son spent a year in Indonesia when he received a Fulbright Fulbright grant to study. What an honor. And they briefly lived in the city and then in a small coastal town on the island of South Sulawesi. Returning to the States, she eventually retired from teaching and returned to writing. Welcome to Milford House Mysteries. Linda? Thank you for having me. Well. Linda, we're anxious to talk about your books, but before we jump into the writing, um, perhaps you could share with our listeners a bit about your year in Indonesia. Um, I know I've never been to South Sulawesi, but um, I don't know, five or six years back maybe, um, my husband and I took a sailing trip through uh, a series of islands, uh, Lombok, Sumbawa, Rika, and um, Bali. Um, uh, and I know that we had talked some people uh, to some people during that trip about how Sulawesi is so um, unique. Doesn't it have that sweeping roof structure there? Uh, so I enjoy traveling and learning much about other cultures, and know that those experiences have added depth to my writing. Um, can you tell us about Indonesia and how that year abroad may have affected you and your writing? Well, you know, it was interesting because it was so long ago. There was no Internet, no computers. Uh, We would go to the phone office once a month to call family and check in. 
Um, we lived, like, a, as you mentioned, on a coastal town for much of the time in a, in a house on stilts. Uh, it had short stilts, not tall stilts, although they were both in the area. Um, it had electricity, but it had no running water, had a well. Uh, but we had a wonderful woman who sort of came with the house in the rental agreement, and niece of the owner looked after us and did the cooking and everything. And, you know, it was a really amazing experience to live in another culture, to think in a different language for so much of the time. Um, my husband was much more engaged because he was working than I was, so it was a little odd for me not to be working, but it was wonderful to be there with our older son. He uh, he spoke Indonesian very quickly and, in fact, was learning the local language quickly. Um, kind of put me to shame a little bit, but uh, it was a pretty amazing experience, and um, I don't. We we have talked together, my husband and I, about trying to maybe write a mystery that draws on some of those memories, but we haven't gotten too far with that planning yet. First of all, let me fun. say that I. Oh yeah, just let me say that I love your cover photo, and it reminds me of my dad. Um, it looks like a viewfinder focused on a stairway, which definitely is intriguing and hinting at the conflict, and it attracted my attention right away. Um, as I mentioned before, my dad was a photographer, but unlike your character, he avoided weddings. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sherry and her husband both, too, they're avid photographers as well. Did you have any input in, into the cover design? Um, you know, I suggested some of the images, and we went back and forth about some of the choices, and this was definitely my favorite. Um, I really mm -hmm. liked it. I liked that, you know, the story starts with a fall down a spiral staircase, so I was looking for a cover that might include that, and when we uh, found the blending of photography on the staircase, I just thought it was really perfect. I, I was really happy with it. It's nice. It's really nice. I like it, too. Yeah, and and that's um, you, you, that's your new book, uh, seeing, oh, seeing in the in quiet, the silence. which is an intriguing oh, yeah. title. Yeah, um, it, uh, you know, I we'll get back to the book in a minute. We're we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but um, you're in your bio. You mentioned that storyboarding diverted you from your initial goal of writing for children's television. Um, and, it, you know, we're, we're curious as why uh, storyboarding itself made you, uh, you know, sort of abandon that path and go into teaching special education. Uh, and, um, you know, I think uh, you'll probably can talk a little bit um, later about, uh, or now, uh, about how special education and your experience there may have influenced this new book as well. Well, I love storytelling and I love writing. Writing has just always made me happy, but storyboarding, the idea of taking something that you've written and breaking it down into these minute pieces because you would create a storyboard. You'd have to, you know, decide on a camera angle and what would be covered in that shot and so forth. It just 
turned me off. <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, mm-hmm. at the same time, I was in love with my husband-to-be, and I didn't want to leave, that I probably would have had to look for work um, outside of Chapel Hill um, at that time. And so I just sort of stopped with that way of thinking and decided instead to try and get a little bit more practical about teaching it. And at that time, the, unlike now, teaching um, the jobs were, were very much in demand. It was very competitive to get into teaching then. And so I um, thought that special education, having a bit of a specialty, might help me in finding work. And so that is what I did. And I, I loved it. I taught for over 30 years. And I just think special ed kids are amazing, especially the ones, you know, who are fighting their way through high school, who get up every day and have to um, – work their way through that social environment knowing that they have difficulties. I, I just think they're really brave. I just really admire those kinds of kids. And I think that working with students affects how I go about writing because I don't, I don't write from a big outline. I don't have a whole plot in mind when I start a story. I tend to start with a character. And I think, well, what would this character do? Or how would they think about this situation? And it's kind of like teaching. I mean, nobody gives you a map to a kid. You get to know them piece by piece as you work with them. And so that's how the writing happens as well. It starts from a character and works its way out. Oh, that is a really good analogy. Um, The segue into my next question you told us that you brainstormed the what if in your writing process, which you recently used in your new novel, Seen in the Quiet. Where did this what if lead you? Or rather than the main character, Audrey Markham, in her wedding photography business and the police, Pittsburgh Police Department. As a child, Audrey's parents had tubes put in her ears, but as an adult, how does she cope or compensate for her hearing loss? So I had had a lot of experience with teaching kids that had some hearing loss, but also, you know, especially as you get older, you just know more and more people that have hearing aids, and I know they're an imperfect device. And so I I didn't want to write about hearing loss. I wanted to write about someone for who that's part of their life, but it's not the point of her life. So mm-hmm. as she's we get to know her as a child as her world is starting to go quiet. But you also see at that time this skill she has, this keen eye for detail that leads her, um, in the beginning of the story, leads her to to discover the body of a child that's been murdered. But then that same keen eye for detail is what leads her into her profession, and and she's successful. And the, the hearing loss, I wanted to be in the background of the story and not be the focus. I didn't want it to be, oh, you know, poor pitiful so-and-so kind of story. I I just, I I like writing about characters who are maybe quiet sort of people, but have a a really strong inner core that comes out in situations that, that might be challenging to them. Well, and I, I think, um, you know, as you've mentioned, uh, your heroine um, faces multiple challenges, uh, some in her job, some in her life, like the, the hearing deficit. Um, and, you know, when she's called to uh, photograph a crime scene, uh, 
um, which is, you know, I guess a little bit out of the norm for a wedding photographer. Uh, <laughs> but somebody's murdered, a well-respected socialite. Um, how is it that the, pol- that the police uh, have reached out to her as uh, the photographer for crime scenes? Can you explain really how she gets uh, into this mystery a little bit? With, no, we don't want you to have too many spoilers, so, you know, use your judgment oh, no. <laughs> in what you tell us. Well, the idea is, I mean, starting your own business is hard. So she's someone, she's a young woman, she's starting her own photography business, and it's pretty hard to pay the bills when you're just starting out. So she tries out a few jobs and qualifies, because she's a good photographer, she qualifies, she applies for and qualifies for this job with the police department. And, you know, at first she's not sure whether she can do it or not. Um, She gets called out to her first, um, one of the, I think she refers to it in one in the book. I'm not sure if it's her first experience, but I used to volunteer with the Red Cross and one night we were called out in one it was a summer and, you know, full moon, hot night, and we were called out to a drowning. And so I drew on that experience to describe what her first uh experience would be photographing a crime scene and so that you would get the sense of just how queasy and scary it maybe was to begin with. But she finds that she can do that kind of work, and it's it's how you pay the bills. I've never had to try and start my own business, but I think I would want to have a backup plan (laughs) in order to get the bills paid. That's that's a very important point. Excuse me. And in this book, uh, as a child, your main character, Audrey, while riding bikes with her friend Sandy, after a rainy weekend, she finds a tennis shoe with a foot attached, sticking out of the mud beneath the trees in the woods behind their development. It's her missing classmate, Toby. How do you prepare readers for the shocking discovery, or, or is it foreshadowing that suggests danger later when the child's killer gets out of jail? Well, I wanted there to be a certain sense of um, unease about Toby. She um, remembers noticing the birthday party and so forth. So she sort of already has some concerns about him. So I don't think she's entirely surprised um, when that discovery is made. But I tried to have that come through the way a child would see it. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, we see her reflecting back on that experience. And, you know, the, the, the villain offhandedly says, yeah, maybe I got her into her line of work. Maybe it was that thing that led her to police crime photography. Sort of, it's just sort of an offhand remark that he makes. Um, but that was how it moved into it. Mm, okay. You know, uh, you set this book in Pittsburgh, um, but, uh, you know, with the Pittsburgh Police Department, right? Um, and uh, I, have you ever lived in Pittsburgh? And, and as a broader question, what type of research did you have to do for this book? Uh, and how did you go about that? I, I, we always find it interesting to hear how different authors approach uh, research for the the different 
uh, aspects of their books. So I haven't lived in Pittsburgh. I was looking for a city the size of Pittsburgh, and it, there's just nothing around me here that's close to that. We, um, I grew up in Carlisle, and we would go to Pittsburgh to the um, surrounding community to visit my father's family. And so it stuck in my mind from those days. But my husband and I uh, took a research trip there um, not long ago when I was working on the book and just had a wonderful time. First of all, if you've ever visited a place and done a culinary tour where often they're run by local chefs and and they take you around to various restaurants and, and so forth. We had this wonderful culinary tour in the Brookline neighborhood um, that was just fabulous. But it's a way you, you're walking around the city and you, you get to know the city a little bit. The other thing that happened that was pretty funny is when I had first written the book, there's two scenes where she goes, where the main character, Audrey, goes into the courthouse. And I was imagining this broad set of steps, like a, a you know, a city government building might have and we get to Pittsburgh and, and it turns out that there's a courthouse right across from our hotel so we oh great we'll go and look at it and we walk over there first of all it is at street level there are no stairs anywhere and we went inside and the security desk was manned by all these ex-cops they were so funny they were oh you want to interview us tell us about your you know they were really sweet and I explained what I was writing. They said, oh, no, this isn't the right courthouse for that. You would go, that case would be held at this other courthouse, but it's just down the street. So we go on down the street. And the, the courthouse where this case would be held is this massive historic building made from these huge granite blocks. It, it, it looks like a, a castle or a prison or something from uh -huh. you know, the 1800s. So it was just, it was a fantastic trip. We had a wonderful time. Um, I would like to go back and uh, do more research there. Uh, it just seemed like a wonder. It seems like a city that's made of neighborhoods, like lots of little towns sort of put together rather than an overwhelmingly big city vibe. Well, we spent, yeah, my family I think spent. It's actually um, a good uh, description of Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah, and my family went on vacation to Pittsburgh. Do you believe that? And took in a game. Um, that kind of uh, leads me into uh, another question about authors and the writing process. Uh, some people don't want to talk about it. Some people do. But there are so many different approaches to writing, as, as there are writers, I think. Sherry, for example, uses an outline. I do not. I don't know how it ends. Um, some writers and or authors plaster post-it notes all around the workspace, and others write out longhand before word processing. Word processing, and I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to share uh, a little bit about your writing process beyond the what-if scenario. So I I don't write an outline. I really do start with sometimes just a sentence um, will get me going. Um, what I really like to do is, is just sort of wander around in the character's world for a while. Even if I'm like laying in bed trying to get to sleep, I'll be wandering around what they're looking at their coffee shop, imagining what the, the crime scene would look like. Um, but one of the strategies that I used for the two prior books um, that were published locally 
that I kept in this book is alternating chapters from points of view. And so it would begin, so for example, there'll be a chapter from Audrey's point of view, and then she has, uh, there's a detective that she's falling in love with named Rod. So the next chapter might be from his point of view. We'll get a chapter from the villain's point of view, and I try and intersperse those. And sometimes the timeline overlaps a little bit. You might hear a bit of the same conversation twice once from one character's point of view and once from the other character's point of view. And one of the things I really enjoy as a reader is when there are different points of view about a person, about their character, about how they thought about something. And it takes you a while to put together what the real situation might be when you take away. It's like the, the old Rashomon story where you different points of view affect how the story seems. So in this mm-hmm. book, the villain has a terrible impression of Audrey, just hates her, of course, and is, decides to go after her. But the other people have a, a much more positive point of view about her. And so that's why I went with that strategy of separating chapter by chapter so that you're able to, again, it's character-based, but you see the situation from the different individual's point of view as you go along. Hmm. Well, um, you raised your two earlier novels, and uh, that's perfect because we were just about to ask you about them. Um, We Thought We Knew You and Who We Might Be are the titles, I believe. Uh, You want to give our listeners a little brief overview of what each of those books is about? Sure. So first of all, I want to give a little plug for my local library here, which started its own press sort of a hybrid press to help um, local authors. So the first book that they did was called We Thought We Knew You, and it starts definitely starts with the what-if idea because it began with the idea, what if someone was a lot like me, this older woman with grown kids, but they had a big secret? And in that book, the secret is that the woman's been in the witness protection program for a long time, hiding from a very dangerous man. And so when he's very publicly killed, she decides it's safe to go after to go and look for the daughter that she gave up for adoption when she went into hiding. Of course, no one in her family or her circle of friends knows anything about that. Um, and then, of course, it turns out that the dangerous guy is in debt, so it wasn't as safe to go looking for him as she thought it would be. <laughs> um, and then the sequel is called We Thought We Knew You, and it picks up with the daughter's story, And um, it alternates between the daughter's story and the story of um, the main character's friend who had helped her do the research um, in defining the daughter who's actually in danger from the crime family as well. So they were a lot of fun to write. And they sort of start around central Pennsylvania. That's where the the main character is from, although then they end up in Pittsburgh, as all my characters seem to do. (laughs) All roads lead to Pittsburgh, huh? (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) Uh, uh, just just out of curiosity, is Seen in the Quiet, is it to be the first in a series of murder mysteries or suspense stories? Well, that, um... it's, it's lovely of you to ask that. I actually have completed a sequel to it. I haven't submitted it anywhere, but I've written a sequel that's called huh? Finding Rosie. And in the sequel, 
Her friend Sandy's infant is kidnapped. A young daycare worker goes missing. And Audrey's struggling with panic attacks as the trial for her attacker is coming up. So her buddy Rod and his partner are on the missing persons cases, and she's helping out with that. So she's sort of doing both roles again. But um, I like it because I got to go back to be with my my favorite characters again and, and explore their world a little further. But I don't know yet if there'll be a third. The the pandemic has made it difficult to imagine a third one. So we'll see. I have a few ideas, but I haven't gotten very far with that. Mm. Yeah, I know. It's uh, certainly made it harder for almost uh, everything. Well, Linda, this has been very interesting. It it, it looks like we're uh, about at the end of our, our half hour. Uh, best of luck. Uh, with your current book uh, as well as the the new one that it looks like you've got got ready to go soon uh, as uh, soon as it's published uh, thank you for joining us and um, congratulations on publication of seeing the seeing in the quiet yes thanks well, thank Linda, you very for coming hmm? thanks too I'm um, thanking you for coming again. <laughs> Uh, on the podcast today. We appreciate hearing about Seeing in the Silence. I'm sorry. I, I want to rename your book, Seeing in the Quiet. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> your approach and your, uh, to writing and your publication. Um, do you want to tell our audience where they can buy your books and follow you on social media? Well, thank you. So, Thank you very much for having me. This was quite an honor. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is available on Amazon, both as a paperback and as a as an ebook, and if you participate in the Kindle Unlimited program, it's available on that as well as my earlier ones. Uh, you can follow me at Amazon or Goodreads, and I also have a website. I do some blogging, not super regular, but the website is lindacottonjeffries.com. And a reminder to all you readers and listeners out there. Our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers. And and really any independent uh, bookstore can order it, or you can order it from home yourself. And especially, thank you all for listening to our Milford House Mysteries. Okay. In the meantime, you can listen to any of our previous podcasts. Uh, and uh, if you've missed them, I hope you haven't, but just in case, uh, just search Milford House Mysteries on your favorite podcast app. Uh, We routinely interview authors, editors, and feature writing topics and tips. And um, please follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, plus Facebook and Twitter. And one last note of programming. Sherry and I are taking a brief hiatus from Milford House Mysteries and we'll return to our regular programming in April. In the meantime, I'm on facebook.com forward slash Carlock Crime Cases by J.M. West and my website was invaded with malware. Um, it's www.carlockcrimecases.com, no longer there, uh, so it's under reconstruction. Whoa. Yeah. 
Okay, so thanks for tuning in, and thank you, Linda Cotton Jeffries, with her new book, Seeing in the Quiet. Please tune in next time after our brief break, which will be we'll be back in April. Thank you.